Hey, y'all. I'm Erin Haynes, the host of The Amendment, a brand new weekly podcast on gender, politics, and power, brought to you by the 19th News and Wonder Media Network. You've probably heard the news that this election year, our democracy is at stake. On The Amendment, I'm breaking down what that actually means, specifically for the marginalized folks who depend on our democracy the most. This is a show that dives past the headlines and gets clear on the unfinished work of our democracy. Listen to The Amendment now, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, y'all, it's Tori. Before we dig in, I have a quick request. We're eager to know more about our audience, so we created a short listener survey to help us learn more about you. Visit wondermedianetwork.com survey to share your thoughts and be entered to win some Wonder Media Network swag. That's wondermedianetwork.com survey. You can also find the link in the episode notes. Hey, y'all. Welcome to this week's episode of For Future Reference. I'm Tori Taylor. And I'm Ambar Calvillo-Rivera. This podcast is all about creating space to have real, candid conversations about the role that people play in our lives, especially the ones who lift us up in professional and personal ways and how they make up the support structures in our lives. It's advice and food for thought that you can use now or just keep around for future reference. I've been looking forward to today's topic because like most of the things that we talk about, it's something that I used to really wrestle with um, when I was growing up in my career. And what we're diving into is essentially what it means to be mentored by someone that has a really different personality or leadership style than us. What if you have a mentor who is just at odds with who you are as a person or the only managers and leaders that you have around you to ask for advice or learn from are folks that have toxic management approaches. How do we take good advice and lessons from people without just absorbing all of their behaviors? Totally. I think one of the most important questions we ask ourselves as we move through our careers is what type of leader or manager we want to be ourselves. We all have unique styles and qualities, but a lot of our professional growth is taking pieces of what we see around us and incorporating them into our lives. I like to think of myself as as one big melting pot of all the people, family, friends, mentors, bosses, et cetera, around me who have helped make me me. And on the flip side of what you mentioned about having toxic managers, you know, what about also when we have great bosses? What are the good behaviors that we see and how do we best observe and incorporate them into our lives. Right. I think part of learning how to get the most out of our mentors is essentially taking advice, observing their approach, but without simply emulating everything that they do. Um, That was a really a key learning curve for me. Listen, I was 18 when I first started working and I'm naturally a curious person. I'm very observant. And I remember looking around and observing how managers behaved, how they carried themselves really early on in my career. And I think it I unfortunately probably spend more time trying to trying to copy their approaches versus figuring out what made them great leaders or not, and then actually spending more time on what that looked like for me. So for a while, I battled with that internally of what I thought I had to do to be taken be taken seriously or essentially become a senior leader. Um, because a lot of the examples that I had, I think particularly in 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 really fast-paced environments, 
weren't great examples. There was a lot of, you know, unclear expectations from some managers, management techniques that didn't embrace employee feedback or favoritism and imbalanced working conditions. And at the end of the day, there's going to be a lot of that no matter where you are, whether you're working at the back of the kitchen in a restaurant or you're in a political campaign or in a startup, you're going to have a lot of different types of leaders with some not so great and some great qualities. And I think ultimately, I think there's something to learn really about yourself and every manager and maybe mentor, even if you're at odds. So really taking that time to reflect on what it means for you is probably more important. And I realize now than just trying to absorb all of the the things um, that managers and mentors had around me. Mm, so many, so many good points there. You know, one, one place that I'm coming to this discussion from today is my definition of a good manager and a mentor has evolved dramatically over my career, which, you know, I think has mostly been allowing myself to stretch what those original definitions were to match the reality that I'm in today, which is management, mentorship, and leadership can come in all different shapes, all different sizes and backgrounds. And, you know, when I was younger, you know, like I'm sure many people listening on this pod, my definition of leadership was what I saw around me, which was old and rich and male and white, and particularly people who were very serious. And, you know, when I was growing up, I was kind of a class clown. I was a little bit silly, always cracking jokes and getting into trouble at school. (laughs) So something that was particularly tough for me to reconcile as I thought about what I wanted to do in my life was, can someone like me be a great leader while maintaining, you know, my sense of humor and some of these more rougher around the edges qualities, um, despite not having not seen a lot of folks like that. And I actually remember a very formative moment. Um, I was a senior in high school and I was watching the morning news because that is the type of child that I was. And (laughs) I saw Terry McAuliffe, who was currently chairing Hillary Clinton's first presidential campaign in 2008, and he later went on to become governor of Virginia. He was on the morning news, and he was wearing this bright Hawaiian T-shirt, cracking jokes with the anchors, and taking shots of Bacardi on live television at like 7 (laughs) a.m. And that was the moment that I realized, like, okay, if he can do that, I can too. <laughs> Wait, is that why you wear Hawaiian t-shirts and drink the party shots this early? Exactly. Exactly. Folks listening can't see it, but I'm actually wearing a Hawaiian t-shirt and <laughs> drinking Bacardi at 11 a.m. on a Saturday. <laughs> um, but no, seriously, it, it really showed me that there is not one way to do this work and it doesn't have to be either or. It can be a strategy of both and where we pick up learnings or from a range of perspectives and environments to form our own unique style. And what I've chosen in my life to prioritize is a certain set of values and core competencies that I've seen in good leaders, but also traits that are very personal and unique to me. Um, And some of those include you know, wanting to be an intentional leader, prioritizing positivity, maintaining my sense of humor and using that as a force for good, um, being inclusive. And, you know, some of those aren't easy to, to put front and center every day. And I've got to be honest, I don't always succeed, but it's my goal every single day. 
So on today's episode, on our fourth episode, we are talking to two incredible leaders that we've had the pleasure of getting to know or work with and really are just big fans of. Um, our first interview is with Janae Magana. Um, she's the president and founder of Talavera Strategies, a strategic communications and public affairs consulting firm. She's a close friend of mine, mentor, I would even call her a sponsor and coach, and she's really had a career that I've admired from working at NBC Universal Telemundo Enterprise to serving the Latino community at the Office of Public Engagement at the White House. She is incredible, leads with gusto and genuine kindness. Well, hi, Janae. Welcome to the podcast for future reference. We are so happy to have you. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Um, you and I worked together. I met you um, when I was in graduate school years ago, but it seems like a long, long time ago, but it wasn't that long ago, during Barack Obama's re-election campaign. And what was a high, I guess, a high stakes, high stress situation, I always saw you as being very calm and again, kind and caring and interested in my success and my well-being and those around you. You have worked in a lot of high-stress industries. You've worked in media. You've worked in political campaigns and high-stress nonprofits. And they have, you know, those spaces have a reputation for for having, you know, what I'm going to call like toxic environments, where, right, where it's like it's so high-stress that um, managers um, are a little mean. Um, one of the things that I've noticed is that you don't seem to have inherited any of the bad behaviors um, and you've always been so kind. And so I wanted to to see one, if that's true, if you think that's that's uh, an honest and true perception of you. And, and if it is, how much of that has been coached or learned, practiced? And so, yeah, it's definitely been learned. <laughs> you know, there's been a lot of uh, trials throughout my career where Starting off early, you know, I felt like I had to be certain ways. And I realized over time that, you know, in some cases, maybe I wasn't being myself. Mm -hmm. And watching the way certain leaders led certain teams, I was trying to pick up the good things and the bad things and seeing what I like and what I don't like. And so I feel like now at this point in my career, you know, I I can take a step back, look back and really realize where I've had some turning points where I've decided, you know what? No. I'm going to be myself because if I'm myself, I think I'm going to be more successful. I didn't want to, um, you know, take on traits, uh, some of these qualities of, you know, being extra, you know, rude or mean to people because that's not who I am in my everyday life. And so those turning points must have been hard for you or challenging at least to see yourself, to to sort of see yourself in a mirror, right, in yeah. a way and yeah. see What's going on here? Yeah. I mean, what what was that like? What did I would say about ten years ago or so? Mm -hmm. You know, finishing up a campaign, and and literally just looking at myself in the mirror too, and I I felt exhausted. I felt tired. Mm -hmm. I felt like like I I couldn't move forward because mm -hmm. we had actually lost a campaign. And I remember thinking, I don't think I'll ever work in politics again. And I told that to all my friends, like I'm never going to do this again. I don't like the person that I've become. And I started to think about the 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 bigger picture of everything of why what got me into working in politics and that was really to help other people and mm -hmm. you know, the the first job I had in uh, real job that I had in politics was working as a field representative for a member of Congress mm -hmm. and the reason I loved that job was because I started doing casework I started the day to day interaction with the constituents 
whether they were dealing with personal immigration issues, with healthcare issues. I dealt with, uh, I worked very closely with a lot of veterans in the community in West Texas. And I remember thinking every day, like, wow, like, I think I can make a difference. I think I can make this better. And through time, I started to get into different campaigns, different political offices. And at that moment after, you know, I had decided like, okay, that's it. I'm not going to work in politics anymore. I had to remind myself why I had started that journey. And it was because I wanted to help people. So, okay, I that's when I repositioned myself. Like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to continue to work in politics, but I'm going to stay true to who I am and it's for those people that, you know, don't have access to health care, that are having the immigration issues. And once I put that as the main perspective, the main goal, I feel like that's where it allowed me to be more myself and to, to be that kind, helpful person that I think I once I once was. <laughs> How do you anchor that in that sort of humanity and that, you know, sort of mission-driven work where you're maybe, you know, for, fo- for folks that maybe are stuck in like their non, you know, quote-unquote dream job or you kind of don't have that mission, but it's each other, right? Like people in the workplace or why, you know, trying to put yourself in a place, essentially taking a step back. What, why am I doing this? Who is this message for? You know, why is, you know, what this code I'm building, what is it ultimately going to be used for? And what does that go back for? And if all that fails, it's like, we are people within a team and, you know, we have to do the right. And I think that's, that's something that I've tried to, you know, make sure that, that those working with me understand that, you know, I want you to look around at your team. These are the people that have your back, but you have to, you have to build that relationship. It just doesn't come overnight. Um, and it's about also getting to know the people around you and understanding that, you know, if that person walks in the office and they're having a bad day, they're complaining, they're sending, you know, nasty emails, whatever it is, before you walk up to them and, and start arguing back or start pushing back, take a, take a step back. And, okay, why are they acting like that? What's happening? Oftentimes it's something completely outside of what's happening at the office. And so... It's it's being able to look at situations and, and approach it in a different light, too. And, and I try to encourage those that have worked for me to to look at things in a different light and not just jump into a situation um, assuming something. How much of it was, you know, sort of these behaviors you were um, using in that, you know, position of leadership that you had? How much of it was influenced by the managers that you had had, or not even managers, but maybe people in position of leadership that you saw engage in that space. So thinking, well, if they're doing this, then that maybe that means that that's the way I should operate. You said you kind of went into politics a little bit later. Um, So how much of it that came from like external sort of, um, yeah, I guess like influence versus just, yeah, you know, yeah. internal. Yeah, like I said, that this all had, has been learned along the way. And I, I think a big piece of learning is seeing what's right in front of you. So I've had good managers. I've had really bad managers, too, along the way. And I remember just seeing the way people handle teams and the way they handle situations and thinking, I want to be more like that. Or I want to be less like that. I, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, I had somebody uh, who will remain nameless, but just the way... He, he talked to people and yelled at people and just just really belittled people. Mm-hmm. Um, I just remember thinking, I I felt awful and I don't want to make people feel that same feeling because mm. did it make me want to work harder? No, not at all. Right. It, it made me pull away. It did not make me want to come into work and give it my best. 
And then I've had bosses that just, you know, you can really tell that they care about the team. They care about the work. They're passionate about what they do. And I just remember thinking, you know, that's who I want to be. That would be the foundation of this, right? Like you actually, you know, are going into a team, going into a project and and taking a step back to 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 care for what it is, to care for the dynamics of a team uh, to be more successful in a project, right? And so if you take that time to to listen and to really hear, you know, what what are some of the issues that maybe your team may have or that your employees may have, that's that's really what I mean by caring, right? Like to to have have a, an opportunity to to really take a step back and look at how the whole dynamics works together. By just doing that, you're already ten steps ahead. Yeah, I love that. If you were going to have coffee with a mentor tomorrow, um, what would you want to ask them? I'd start off by asking sincerely and with a purpose: Is how are you doing? Because I think sometimes we think, you know, uh, of our mentors as just this, this like superhero person, which to me, my mentors are superheroes, but they're also human beings. And you also want to hear what's going on with them. Well, Janae, thank you for all the golden nuggets today and wisdom and just for taking time. I love you a lot and I really appreciate you. Hey y'all, it's Tori. I travel a lot for work and I'm usually running to catch a flight, sitting for a few hours on a plane, and then running straight to meetings after I land. So having pants that look nice and are comfortable during hours of travel is a dream come true. The dress pant yoga pants at Beta Brand are exactly that. They feature super comfy styles designed to look professional. Not only do they feel good and look great, but they're also super functional. Like they have a style with eight, yes, eight, pockets, so I don't have to worry about where I put my travel snack, my phone, or my wallet. I generally just leave my pocketbook in my suitcase and still have everything I need on me thanks to this amazing design. That's why I started wearing Beta Brand's dress pant yoga pants in black. Now, for future reference listeners can get theirs for 20% off. Visit betabrand.com slash FFR, all lowercase, to get 20% off yours. To have another incredible guest on the show today. Adisu Demesi is a longtime leader and high level manager of political campaigns and a personal mentor of mine. He ran Gavin Newsom's campaign for governor of California and is currently running Senator Cory Booker's 2020 presidential campaign. And what I love about Adisu is he really centers a lot of incredible qualities in his leadership style. And I'm really excited to dig in with him today on how he does that and what we can learn from it. Hello, Adisu. Hello, Tori. I am so excited to talk to you. Um, thanks for taking a couple minutes away from a busy campaign trail. You know, one of the reasons that we wanted to talk with you today, so for, for background for our listeners, uh, you and I met for the first time during the 2016 presidential election when we were both working for Hillary Clinton's campaign. And one of the things that I was struck with, and I think a lot of our, my colleagues were struck with, were, you know, you were positive, you were very encouraging and inclusive, and, you know, still were able to maintain a lot of those really incredible leadership traits while also being very strong and efficient. And I think sometimes there's a misconception that, you know, those things are mutually exclusive. And so would love just to hear a little bit from you, you know, how you would describe your leadership styles. 
Yeah, you know, a couple of things. One, I'll say it's intentional. You know, it is, it is, it's not, it comes naturally at some level, but you also have to wake up every day and sort of choose your uh, attitude. It's uh, like Viktor Frankl says, uh, uh, the one thing you get to choose is your attitude every day, no matter where you are. And so part of my leadership style is just trying to set that intention every morning and like show up to work. Where, where along the way did, was there a mentor somewhere that, that gave you that exact sentence or, you know, how did, how did you become that leader? Uh, well, it's a good question. I mean, some of it is, I think, just who I am as a person in my personal life. But I would say actually the leader that I would consider the, I would consider two, both political figures, um, but who I think have been great leaders in different ways. One is Corey. Obviously, I'm going to say that. But the other, the first one was actually Terry McAuliffe, who I worked for. I was his personal assistant when I was 23 years old, uh, way back 16 years ago, 15 years ago. And Terry is somebody who leads with personality and he leads with love every day. And, and um, you know, when he would come in, he was the chair of the DNC at that point when I was working for him. And he made a point every day of walking into the building and not just going straight to his office, but making sure he, you know, talked to the receptionist and went down to the mailroom and talked to Dwayne. And I, I mean, I remember their names because I would follow him around and see him do this. And so, um, it, you know, it was just a good model to follow. And, and I saw how much people in a very difficult election cycle that was back in 2004 wanted to be at the DNC, wanted to work there because of Terry. Um, and I realized, uh, I think subconsciously, that like a lot of people, this work, particularly political work, it's so hard. It's grueling. You're away from your family. Um, you're, you know, you're working for not a lot of money, long hours that you may come for um, a purpose, for a vision, for uh, a cause, but ultimately you're going to stay and work hard for the people that you work with and for. You know, one thing that I think comes up a lot in this conversation is, you know, I think a lot of us start from a place of, you know, we we want to be a certain type of leader who, who leads with our values and centers a lot of the things that we've discussed here. But, you know, when we get to the grind, as we get higher in our career, as leadership becomes lonely, um, you know, there's not always the support mechanisms to, you know, I think incentivize some of that behavior. And so I'm curious, like, do you have any grounding techniques or best practices that you have kind of gone back to when the grind of your day to day just makes it tough to prioritize kindness and prioritize positivity. Uh, yeah, I mean, one, one thing I've done is, uh, and I've worked with multiple, but executive having executive coaching, having somebody you can lean on, whether that's someone you pay or someone who you, um, who's, a, who's a former peer or uh, uh, somebody you, you've worked with, but making sure that there's somebody outside of your organization who you can lean on in the difficult moments, who can remind you about who you are and remind you about, um, and obviously coach you on how to be better, but also just just sort of center you, like you were saying, and in, in why you did this in the first place, and 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 you know what makes you you. Is it's really important to have mentor. That's not really a mentor, but have sort of a coach like that that is um, that's looking out for you. But yeah, look, every day I uh, I try to take time to think, which is in my business at least the hardest thing to find because I live in a rapid response world where there is always a crisis a hundred percent of the time, what, or may, what may be perceived as a crisis, uh, uh, whether it's a news story that's popping or somebody tweeting something mean on Twitter, or, you know, it happened earlier this evening, Corey's flight was delayed to New Hampshire and we had a, um, 
we potentially had to move back an event and and there's always something happening. And so making sure as a leader to take the time to um, have some just time to think, take yourself out of the crisis of the moment, but also and actually think about what you're trying to do. What are my goals? Am I, is everything that I'm doing right now actually laddering up to a goal or am I just chasing a, a shiny object? Reserving that space is, is just critical. Writing it down is critical for me, at least. My father always taught me writing crystallizes thought. And so making sure that you, and I mean literally writing it like with a pen. Um, <laughs> I don't think typing is the same, but trying to make sure that you have space to do that. You know, those are some of the things that I that I do. I talk to people, I write things down. I just reserve time in my calendar, pretend like I have a meeting, but actually just like retreat to my office and make sure that even if I just am sitting there and meditating or <laughs> napping or whatever it might be that, that I've, I've blocked that off so that I can be the best person I can be if, you know, in the other 23 hours of the day. A hundred percent. I think it goes back to what you said earlier about intentionality. You know, I think that's a, a, co- a really common thread in, in a lot of this work. And I'm also a big fan of time blocking on calendars. Just if it's not on your calendar, if it's not written down, it doesn't exist. On this show, we have talked a lot about mentorship and what modern day mentorship looks like. Um, and, you know, curious as a manager who oversees a very large team of people, you know, at the, the longer you're in your career, you obviously manage more people and bigger organizations. And it's a little bit more difficult to do the one-on-one management that you might have been able to do 15 years ago when your network was, was smaller. So wondering, you know, how you think about management as a more high-profile leadership today and if, you know, there is a, a certain type of scale that you think about mentorship and um, leadership in today that goes down to your team. Yeah, it's a really, I mean, I'd say two things. One is as you get higher in an organization, your direct reports tend to be closer to peers than juniors, which is just an interesting thing that I've noticed. And and it it totally um, changes the way you have to manage. Uh, It is very, it's easy to manage folks who are sort of clearly, not easy, but easier to manage folks who are clearly junior to you in experience or age or whatever it might be. But once you get to a point where you are, uh, you know, the campaign manager, any one of the people who report to me right now could run, could have my job. Uh, some of them are older than me. Some of them have, have more experience than I do. And so that creates so many different um, dynamics and, and challenges that I just think it's interesting to, that I have to think about every day. And you have to, you have to relate to your, your managees on a different level. Um, but the biggest thing I, I realize as a, as a leader at this level is how, is, is that eyes are on you at all times. Um, and, and it's honestly, it's, it's, uh, it's exhausting. It's like emotionally exhausting a little bit, but everyone is looking to you and the littlest, Robbie Mook said this to me, who ran, who ran, um, Hillary's campaign, who was my boss at the time or my boss's boss at the time, um, that a pe- what you might perceive as a pebble in a, in a pond is actually a boulder when you're a, a CEO at, at a level like this. And, and it will ripple out all the way to the bottom level of, of an organization. And that goes for your attitude as well. And so just being sort of so conscious of when and how I speak in meetings, how I walk into the office, what my facial expression is. If I'm in a tough meeting, <laughs> you know, or, or have to make a tough decision, I like wait a second before I walk out of the room so I don't sort of give away uh, what might be disappointment or sadness. Like little stuff like that that I, did, I never would have thought of before. Now that I've gotten higher in, in an organization, I really like, I try to be super hyper-conscious of how I'm presenting myself every day because I know, again, leadership is not just what you say or keeping a good task list, list, it's actually 
sort of modeling good behavior. If you were going to have coffee or a drink with a mentor this week, what is something that you're dealing with now that you would want their advice on? You know, this thing is at the halfway mark at best. Uh, again, it's been nine months and we're still nine months away from the convention, which we hope to make and have Corey be the nominee in July of next year. So it's like half time for me and I'm pretty beat. And I'm, and so strategies and how do you, you know, for self-care in, in difficult moments is something that I I definitely have not figured out in 20 years of doing whatever it's been of doing this. <laughs> I definitely need to do better at that. And I think it actually is affecting my ability to be a good leader, right? If you're not, if you're not present, if you're not tired, if you're tired all the time, you're going to make bad decisions and you're going to, you know, lash out and be, have a shorter fuse and all those kind of things. So that's definitely something that I would love help with. Yeah. Well, I also, I mean, this conversation, if it tells me anything, it tells me that you have all the, the tools to, yeah. to figure that out. So I have a lot of faith in you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Tori, I really, I could have listened to Janae and Adisu talk about their leadership style and philosophies on management all day. Like, please sign me up for their course. I will be there front of class every week. Uh, I really could have just continued to, to talk to them. There was so much advice in both of these interviews. What are you taking with you, Tori? There were two things that particularly stuck out to me in the conversations. First, a common theme throughout was intentionality. Adisu really reinforced how important it is to be reflective, allow yourself time to process, and actually building that into your schedule. Second, I also appreciated his and Janae's reminder that when you are a mentor, a leader, or a manager, you're being watched. In Janae's case, she saw what she didn't want to be. Mm-hmm. And when I worked for Adisu, I saw what I did want to be. Mm. You know, when you're in those roles, all eyes are on you. You're setting an example. And that is a really big responsibility that good mentors, managers, and leaders have to take seriously. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think both Janae and Adisu also mentioned something that I really strikes me, which is that they're both kind and they in some ways talked about kindness as a skill. And it's essentially, I think, for mentors and and managers that it's not just about guiding someone through how to write an excellent strategic plan or how to, you know, run the shop uh, in the best sort of operational way, but that a big part of it and, and, and being successful in that is how you treat people. And that should also be a core part of what you develop as a leader, as a mentor, um, whether you have mentees yet or not, but essentially that you have to model good behavior and how you treat people around you. And so I think one of the the quotes that just like really sticks out to me is Adisu said, what you perceive as a pebble is a boulder when you're a leader in an organization. And I know that is so true from both being in a manager, management position, but also just, as I said before, just really observing others around me. So um, we're really grateful for these interviews today. And really, I hope folks listening out there got as much as we did out of today's conversations. We'd love to hear what you thought. Really, 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 we do. Please send us an email, pod at wondermedianetwork.com. That's P-O-D, pod at wondermedianetwork.com. And please let us know what you thought. We want to include each of you in the conversations we're having this season. And your feedback is really important to us. 
Yes, and next week we are excited to interview two badass women with decades of experience in management and leadership. There's a ton of stuff about life and building a career that they don't teach us in school. So we're gonna ask a few women who seemingly have done it all what they know now that they wish they would have known much earlier in their careers. I can't wait to listen. And thank you all for listening today. And please make sure to subscribe so that you don't miss any of the new episodes every week, wherever you listen to podcasts. We hope that this helps for now or for future reference. Talk to you next week. Bye. This podcast is part of Wonder Media Network. Before you go, I want to tell you about another podcast that talks about what it's like to have imposter syndrome and be the first or only one in a role that looks like you. Hosted by Laura Cathart Robbins, the only one in the room tells raw, vulnerable accounts from people who are, like most of us, just eager to connect. The idea for the podcast originated in 2018 after Laura attended a famed writer's retreat. Soon after her arrival, she realized that out of 600 attendees, she was the only black person in the room. When she got back home, she wrote about her experience in the Huffington Post. The article went viral, but then something even more surprising happened. The morning after her piece went live, Laura woke up to find 568 direct messages in her inbox. She thought the messages would all be from black people, but they were messages from people of all walks, lives, races, ages, and religions. These people had written to her because they'd connected with her essay and identified with the feelings of being others. It wasn't long before Laura knew what she wanted to do. She wanted to create a platform for all those stories to be shared and heard. And so a podcast was born. Listen to The Only One in the Room wherever you get your podcasts.